0: No that's the thing. <laughs> right. Welcome home, Dennis and Nancy. Good to have you guys back. Where'd you go? New England. New England. Did you eat a lobster? <laughs> My... My one daughter says, Dad, you're eating the cockroach of the sea. (laughs) It is true. I mean, they eat, if you know what they eat, you just like crabs and they're so good, though. I know there's a reason the Lord told us not to eat them, but He told us not to eat bacon, too. So, I mean, we're not giving that up anytime soon. Right? So, anyways, anything. That's it. It was all on the sheet, so we're okay, right? (laughs) <laughs> I don't know, I have no idea it's for our liberation, Ken, I guess, yeah, there's stuff that it's much more well taken care of today than what they would have had been able to deal with, yeah, so with refrigeration and everything that we have, so glad you guys are here tonight. um, thank you for enduring last Wednesday, of course, I was t- talking with Kim I was. You know, it took takes a week to get your mind straightened out from a, all the traveling. And, uh, yeah, that was what was wrong. So, uh, yeah, I talk fast. My wife says, man, that was really good, but you talk so fast. And I said, well, you know, I got so much information, and, and we only have so many weeks. And uh, before we hit the holidays, I want to try to, yeah, I know. I know I can, but I'm trying to honor what I say. And... Uh, yeah, but I know you guys are good. Uh I appreciate a congregation that yells at me on Sunday morning when I say I've got 5 minutes to finish and they're like, "No, keep going." So, anyways, that's nice. I don't know if they mean it or not, but it's nice that they'd say it anyways. Yeah. Oh, it's just the, the appreciation month. Thank you. So a couple of things about what's happening right now overseas is uh, you, if you're keeping up on stuff. And I told you I'd be bringing insights in. Um, my my pastor, uh, who has intel information, just said, be cautious today. Don't. Here in the U.S. That I mean, you're hearing about alerts and stuff. You know, we don't live by fear. We live by faith. And I told you, you know, the Lord told us plenty of time. No one saw this coming. Um, and uh, And the Lord told us. Be that this would be our door, we would contend at the door of faith this year. And uh, so we have to make that choice in our lives. Are we going to continue to stay in faith, or are we going to let the terrorists... You know, terrorists are all about creating fear, and uh, that's what they do. And so so there are lots of alerts, and there are lots of things going on right now that they are watching uh, here in the U.S. as well. Um, And, um, you know, as you know, in our state alone, uh, we have, like, the largest... Uh, Muslim population right here. Um, but, uh, you know, they're keeping all that, just know that nobody's burying their head in the sand about any of that. Um, but he just said, look, if you, uh, you know, just be cautious about where you are and what you're doing and be cautious, uh, you know, always keep your eyes open. And I think that's wisdom for all of us. Amen? Amen. You'll see that uh, this is just going to, which I told you a couple weeks ago, when we got home, it'll keep escalating. Um, the uh, you know the, the accusations. Um, they're uh, jo- they're trying to pull Jordan into it now, which they pretty much have. And uh, I actually, it was kind of a cool deal. I just got an invite um, from Jordan actually, and uh, was uh, to to be able to help out teaching leadership there. And I had a missionary that contacted me from there. He said it's not a good time to come. I agree and uh but uh he but uh, and plus i just got home so i'm not really interested in traveling anywhere right now but um i did they've started to ask me to do zoom leadership training in uh in jordan in north jordan so uh, they're pioneering churches and the pastors there need leadership training so this is a great opportunity and uh, but this is all escalating a lot of those folks i don't know how long they're going to be there i have a zoom call on friday to kind of figure out where things are going But uh, they'll keep pulling the territories in. They'll just keep pulling in and in and in, and uh, it'll continue to escalate. You know, what Hamas is trying to do is, you know, they blew up one of their own hospitals, um, and uh, they, uh, um, you know, with the misfire, um, one of the radical groups of Hamas wasn't the actual Hamas people that did that, but... Um, those, I told you, we really need to pray because the people that are suffering are the innocent and they have nothing to do with any of this. Um, but they're, they're being destroyed because of it. And, you know, you can't not watch the news and see kids suffering and all the things that are going on and teenagers and mothers and all of that. And they did nothing. They did nothing. And, uh, this is just all out of anger and terror and to turn the world, uh, against, uh, the Israelites. And uh, so uh, now Hezbollah is involved with it, obviously, which we told you last week that was coming. And uh, so it will keep adding to, and there'll be more countries that'll keep coming out and saying things. And, you know, that they, they feel a loyalty to that. The real end game of all of this was to keep Saudi Arabia from creating any kind of allegiance with Israel. And so that's not going to happen now. Um, somebody said, well, we're going to keep trying to make that. It's not going to happen. I can tell you right now. They won't do it. And um, and uh, I don't think it'll be long before you'll start seeing Iran pulling some stuff. Um, I don't think that they're going to get totally involved in this. Um, they could. You know, like I said before, it could happen. Did you need something, Sharon? Um, I see that hand. So it won't be long before that'll all get drawn in uh, as well. And um you know, it it's amazing um and I'm really, I mean, you know, you can say what you will about our government system that we have now, but they really have stood up for Israel. I mean, there's a few knuckleheads in there saying crazy stuff, but um there always is. And uh, you know, that's about, you know, I know we hate all that, but that's what is part of living in America is all about, is the freedom that we have to be able to believe what we want to believe. And, you know, that means we've got to let people like that believe totally opposite of what we believe be here. We're not running people out of our country because they believe different, because this is the United States, and we believe in that freedom. You take their freedom away, you're not far from taking your own freedom away. Right. Amen? And so we want to be real careful how we start. I mean, we don't have to like it. It's just like these teachings I'm doing. You know, you may totally not agree at all with the stuff that I'm talking about on, on Wednesday nights. But the thing is, is that we have that freedom. And, and look, even in church, you can be a premillennialist, you can be a postmillennialist, you can be a amillennialist um, that you don't believe any revelation is going to happen. It's all figurative. Um, there are people that, at theologians that believe, well scholared people that are premillennialists that believe that uh, we're taken out. I tend to be a pre-millennial believer. Um, I have some good friends, ministers, spirit-filled ministers, that they're mid-tribulation people, that they believe we're going out in the middle of the tribulation. Um, There are those that uh, are post-millennialists. And it really, to me, I mean, you know, I'm talking about things that I've observed in my study. Um, I obviously wouldn't teach it unless I thought it was right and uh you know i wouldn't get up in the pulpit and teach something i didn't think was that i didn't totally believe in um but i also believe we have to provide the latitude that people can believe a lot of different things about the book of revelation and what's happening and when the you know um, i always you you've heard this before um, richard murphy used to always say because we'd get in arguments on ask the pastor about is, is, are you pre-millennial, post-millennial, amillennial? And he said, I'm pan-millennial. It will all pan out in the end. So <laughs> I, I think there's a lot of truth to that. And it will all, yeah, that's a Richard Murphy saying. And, and uh, you know, but, but that really is true because there's a lot of this as we're looking at it. Remember, we're talking about things that were. That's our verse out of Revelation 1, that uh, things that were, things that are, and things that are to come. Now, I gave you some paperwork I want you to take a look at. Um, There are seven churches are listed there. Um, And uh, just remember, and we're going to see a couple more pictures here tonight, but a lot of this stuff is all gone. Those churches, they're just remnants. Now, there were earthquakes in the area. The Church of Colossae that we've talked about before isn't one of these seven churches, but it's completely gone. Um, It was totally destroyed in an earthquake that came. Um, the, the most of the, even the church of Philadelphia, if you've done your reading, you know, uh, the church of Philadelphia is gone and, uh, you know, they, they endured through a tough season, but, uh, in the end they were gone, but the Lord promised them heaven out of, out of their endurance through it all. So, um, a lot of what we would look back at is, is, is really gone. Do you have any more of those papers or are they all gone? Uh, I need one, if you wouldn't mind. I, I want to make sure everybody got one. Thanks, honey. Well, you are pretty, you know that. So, I gave you, if you want to flip over that page and you can look at, and this just kind of gives you a brief overview of the different churches and just tells you the breakdown, you know, what the, the praise of those churches uh, the criticism of those churches, uh, the commands to those churches, and the promises to those churches. So this will this will help us a little bit in understanding about the churches. Tonight we're going to look at Sardis. We've already talked about Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, and Thyatira. Sardis, um, basically, uh, they are a dead church that's what they're considered a dead church they just have no no life to them this is a picture of one of the buildings that still exists there in sardis Um, these are the columns that are there uh, in sardis but the church is is gone this is an actual synagogue that existed i can give you a bigger shot here of this this synagogue still exists there Um, and uh, of course nobody's using it but it actually the building that that's all been dug up so archaeologists have pulled all of that remember a lot of this stuff too you know is 20 feet down so archaeologists continue to uncover more of this stuff Um, I don't know if you keep up on the news but this last week um, or two weeks ago before all this stuff broke out they actually had given permission uh, to archaeologists to do some digs around the uh, Dome of the Rock and They actually found some artifacts to actually show that that there were um, There some of the religious things that were going on around that area, which is kind of cool um, You know because just the the that the centuries that are involved with this. It's it's hard in our mind to think about how long this is back. This is so far back. I mean, you know, this is hundreds, hundreds of years. And, uh, you know, and and what we tend to think, I'll give you an example. So what we tend to think of, like, you know, God promised Israel that they were going to a land of what? Milk and honey. All right. But when you're in Israel and you're walking around, if you want to compare Israel to the United States, it looks like a bunch of rocks. And you would go well. How in the world is this milk and honey? In fact, when we were in Jerusalem, the only place that had green grass was the Valley of Hinnom, off of the off the Mount, off of Mount Mount Zion. So the Valley of Hinnom—that's where Jesus talked about—is the Valley of Gehenna, and it was the only place that had green grass growing. Jesus used that valley because it never stopped burning. You know, they threw all their trash down over that hill. And so all the trash that went over that hill that burned continuously, and there were they, if you read in your Old Testament about them sacrificing to Moloch and all these other gods, that all happened in the Valley of Hinnom. And Jesus equated it to hell. And when you're in Israel and you stand on the mount and look out, the Valley of Hinnom is the only thing that's got green grass growing. So good news. Whatever hell you're going through right now. There's some green grass coming. Amen. It'll be well fertilized. It'll be well fertilized. That's why it's the only green grass that's there. So it's very fertile ground. So, you know, anyways. I, but if you want to equate it, you know, you're going to try to do... You, we are so blessed here in the U.S., and the way, that they, the, the way our country is, and especially, you know, if we just take the state of Michigan, I mean, man, even with the cold weather and stuff, you're still looking at green grass and beautiful trees. And when you go there, you see, you think, man, this is not too far away from being a desert here. Now, there is stuff growing there, and there are things. There are olive trees. And it was a look to the Israelites coming out of Egypt. I was in Egypt where they were at. Where they are now is way better than where they were. Okay way better than where they were because Egypt is pretty much a desert in that area there. But uh, when you get into Israel, like I said, if you're trying to, we tend to read things in scripture through a U.S. mindset and that can be detrimental to us because we're not really seeing the truth. That's why I want you to see these pictures because, I mean, look, this is all that's left. I mean, these are all that are left of this church of Sardis. Sardis was Jesus. When he spoke to the, the messenger of Sardis, he said, you're dead. The church is dead there. There's no life there. There's nothing. Nothing that's happening that's that's, that's good there. Um, he told them to repent and be empowered and strengthened. And he talked about how it, the promise to them was the faithful will be honored and clothed in white. But really, I mean, as you look at that, this this place that they, that when he was talking to Sardis, he didn't have a lot of good things to say about them. You know, at least with some of the others, he's like, well, you guys have done this and you've done this. Mm, not Sardis. Sardis was a lifeless church. Uh, It had been a great city. King Croesus Croesus had had built it there. Croesus was the king that actually uh, built Diana's temple or um, Artemis' temple in um, Ephesus. Uh, He was a wealthy king. Um, He was a force in the world, uh, but the church of Sardis had had basically gone dead. Uh, They were living in the past. They had the temple dedicated to Sybil. Um, which they believe restored the dead to life. The Oracle of Sibyl, um, where they would go to and get uh, questions answers. Jesus really has no commendation, no good things to say about Sardis. He just tells them to wake up and strengthen what remains. They're spiritually dead. The Holy Spirit is absent in what they're doing. They have our church with no answers, and he said your works are not complete and uh, so they needed the holy spirit so he was very strong about this in fact in verse 3 he says in chapter 3 if you don't repent he says i'm going to come like a thief and it'd be the coming of that judgment so he's saying look you guys don't have a lot of time to deal with this but you better get you better get on it so then he moves on to the church of philadelphia and philadelphia is uh, the word means brotherhood the, it, that's basically what phila is the word for Uh, it's a city of brotherly love is what it's called and a, a brotherhood and when he speaks to the church of Philadelphia he really talks about that they're faithful they're keeping the word of Christ they're honoring him this is the only one he had no criticism for so in your notes if you're looking at that you see that he really had no criticism it was the youngest of the seven churches it was very prosperous on the imperial road it was the gateway to the east they had a lot of uh, group culture and language there uh, here's a couple of pictures um, i think it's interesting so when you're looking at these different you know when we're talking about these different churches and we see things that jesus said to them it's really interesting that architecturally they had things in those areas that tied into what jesus was saying to them and uh, when he talked to the church of philadelphia and uh, was laying it out to them, um, he he talked about, uh, he said, look, um, I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door no one can shut. If you, uh, you have a little strength and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Verse 9, I'm going to make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they're Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I'll make them come and worship before your feet to know that I have loved you uh, because you've kept my command to preserve. I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole earth to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I'm coming quickly. He who overcomes, I'll make a pillar. Interesting, pillars. These are the pillars of, uh, uh, that are in Philadelphia that pretty much this is what remains. I'll show you a couple of other things. But these pillars were part, they were, they were part of the, sub, the structure of Philadelphia. And they were well renowned for this. So when Jesus is talking to John to tell these things about the churches, they, they would have said, oh, he's talking about that we're a pillar. And they would be looking at these pillars while they were actually hearing those words from John. And uh, so it's pretty powerful. These are some other scenes of things that were there. Some Christian artifacts that were there uh, that, were in, that are in Philadelphia. Uh, the only church that's there is St. John's Church. It says Jean, but it actually is John. But it's St. John's Church. And, uh, and uh, so this, this uh, and you can see the pillars that still exist there. But the church is relatively gone that was there and uh, through time. And, and and so that brings up a really important question because so these are obviously things that were they did exist they're things that are so that means they must be still there they, at least the 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 way that they function must still exist today. And then that there are things that will be. So this will be the church. There will be a Philadelphia church of the future. There's a Philadelphia church now. And there's a Philadelphia church of the past. The one of the past is gone. Okay, so that's all gone. Those people have all dispersed. Romans came in and and killed off a lot of the people. Um, If you've ever heard of a guy named Polycarp, uh, that name before, um, he was Luke's disciple, uh, Polly, I think it was Luke, is it Luke? I think that was luke 's disciple, but anyways, he was killed with a, most of the a big, large group of believers from Philadelphia. So there are those who look at these as church ages that the churches moved through. Could we say there was a period of time that the church was dead? yeah, dark ages definitely was dead. The church was dead in the world now that 's not the u s obviously, but that was in over in Europe. Um, if you've done any history study you know that the church i mean it was just it was greed it was perversion it was all kinds of evil stuff that was going on in the church at that time so it was relatively dead but was there revival and was there a church is there a church of philadelphia that's faithful that keeps the word well i think that's us right i think we're that church today but then you get to where jesus starts talking to the laodicea church and of course this one's gone as well but He starts talking to the Laodicean church and he starts saying some pretty powerful things. And I think this is one that in our time we need to be most cautious about falling into as a church and as believers. And I'm going to show you why here uh, this evening. So the church of Laodicea, the church of Philadelphia, excuse me. So this is the marketplace in Laodicea, still exists. They are, you know, dug this all up. Let's look at what Jesus talked about with the church of Laodicea. He said in verse 14, To the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write these things says the Amen, the faithful uh, and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. Now, it's interesting here, there's another view of where... Uh, all this is at the sacred pools of Laodicea, the terrace pools of Laodicea, the plutonium, which is the entrance to Hades, which is just a cave. But they believed that it was how you got to, to Hades, down, you know, the Greek, uh, the place of the dead, um, the water pipes from Hier- Hierapolis. So Laodicea uh, was a very uh, fi- financially strong area. They did black wool in their garments and carpets. Uh, In 60 AD, the city was devastated by an earthquake, so everything you just saw was dug back up. Um, The city uh, refused help and rebuilt itself. They had a medical school for the treatment of eye diseases, which that'll be important to remember that here in just a minute. Um, Jesus is the faithful witness. He won't lie. They think everything is fine, but it's actually just the opposite. They're about to die. He says they're neither cold, icy, nor hot. Hierapolis had mineral hot springs six miles away that were used for the sick. Sick, excuse me, but those aqueducts I showed you from Laodicea. By the time the hot water got to the city, it was lukewarm. So that's why he's saying that to them: that you guys are lukewarm. And they would refer, they would know that because they basically all they could do in the lukewarm waters was bathe, and that's what they would do with them. He says uh, it wasn't good enough to drink and it wasn't good enough for the sick. They would have to go six miles away to where the hot springs were at to actually, if the, the sick would use that. So what does he tell him? He says, look, because you're, you're lukewarm and they would be like, oh, the waters are lukewarm. He would say, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. I wish you were hot or that you were cold. Once again, a reference to something that they would have known that we would not know just by reading it on the surface, that this really had something to do with their community. Okay? So, it's interesting though, the church of Laodicea is not directly called out for sin, for a sin. Okay? A lot of the other churches, they'd be called out, right? What they were called out for was their pride, their arrogance. Because they said, we got it made. Right? We got it made. We got everything. We got all we need. We got riches. We're, you know. And he says, guys. He says, look. You don't know it, but you're actually poor and you're naked, and you don't have anything. And uh, he tells him, and I love this. If you look at, um, um, if you look at, verse eighteen. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye sab that you may see and remember they have a school right there that's for people that have eye issues and they make salve for their eyes there so it's it it, it would really speak to the people that were there you know and wouldn't we expect jesus to do that if he was talking to people what well, would we would expect him to use things they know when he talked to the Israelites, he would talk about farming, right? I mean, he's like, hey, a sower went out to sow. They're like, hey, yeah, I know a guy that sows seed or I sow seed and, and, uh, you know, or uh, a person that builds barns or he would talk to them about things that they would understand. So when he talks about these things here, they're all references to things that are in those communities. He does not reference the same thing in every community that he's talking to, okay? So, but he's calling them out because of their arrogance. And I think this is the danger in contrast with the Philadelphia church for us. Is that we begin to think we're self-sufficient. We, don't, we, we can fix this ourselves. You know, that's sort of the American way, isn't it? It's like we can, do, you know, we can do it ourselves. I remember when my kids were little, my daughter, Angeline, we got her a book. A Sesame Street book called I Can Do It Myself. And uh, I think it had uh, Bert and Ernie on the cover of it. And uh, she would read that book, and she would go through and I need to tie my shoes. I can do it myself. And so she would go through every page and say, I can do it myself. Well, the the and, and great. But the thing is, is that at a point in her spiritual life, she got to a place where she was like, I can do it myself. I don't need church. I don't need God. I don't need all of that. Now, she's not there anymore, obviously. But, but you know, it... it that's the mentality, that's the mentality we can get into, is, is that, you know, I don't, I don't need the Lord in that part of my life. It's like my professor, my religion professor um, in college. He's a Harvard emeritus, you know, did his PhD at Harvard. Um, he and I probably argued every week in class. Um, and, uh, and he was a brilliant man, I mean, no doubt about it. I mean, his thesis was on the Shaker religion, and I mean, he had he had gotten I mean, he had gotten all kinds of accolades. But the thing is, is that at one point when we were t- I was talking to him about the Lord, he basically he and his wife said, "We don't need that right now." You know, we don't need that right now. And uh, I don't know what they what they thought Jesus is all about in the church. I mean, I'd talked to him several times, but. They just build a mentality into their life that that's just something we've got other stuff we want to do and we don't need that today. Well, see, that's the danger of the Laodicean because, you know, we're not hot and we're not cold. We're just indifferent and we're doing our own thing. And so, you know, Jesus is and I love this because and once again, what we talked about last week, what is Jesus saying? Come to me, guys. Come on. You need to come and, you know, to to him who overcomes, I'll grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. So um, they didn't uh, they didn't respond to that, obviously. And so out of that, it became a problem for them, the Laodiceans. But I think that's the danger of the American church. I think we need to be careful. We need the Lord. We need the Lord. We are not self-sufficient. God never gave us, you know, it's not, the, uh, it's not this uh, idea that God gave us all the tools and said, now you're on your own. He wants to be actively involved with us, okay? You know, in deism, they teach kind of that mentality in deism that, you know, that God just set everything in motion. Now it's up to you to make it all work. Well, I disagree. God may have set everything in motion, but He didn't stop being involved in His creation. Amen. And the minute that we get to a place that we think we're self-sufficient somehow, or you know, just because we know what's going to happen this coming Sunday that we're probably going to have you know, an opening and four songs and an offering and announcements and a preaching and there'll be an altar ministry at the end. Just because we know those things are going to happen doesn't mean that we can just do that without saying, Lord God, I need your help today. Amen. And just like this last Sunday, how God just sort of intervened in the whole thing and I didn't even get to preach the sermon that I had. I mean, how dare God do that to the service, right? (laughs) Take my time away from me. But I, you know, look, this is the... the... Yeah, yeah, right. (laughs) But, you know, it's one of those things that, hey, look, this is God's church. This is His, my life is His. I already proved what a miserable mess I can make out of my life by myself. How many of you know that's true for your life? You know, you, look, by yourself, you are screwing your whole life up, man. And then Jesus, who loved you while you were screwing your life up, you came to Him and He changed everything. Well, let's be careful and take note from these churches that there's always that possibility that you can get back to where you're thinking you're self-sufficient. I'm okay. Everything's cool. I'm going to be good. And, uh, because, look, we're not and we need God's help. Okay, So let's deal with this chapter 4. And uh, then I want to talk a little bit about, i gave give you some stuff on the chiastic... Structure of Revelation. I want to talk to you just for a minute about a lot of what I'm going to give you uh, tonight, and uh, what we're going to finish with tonight is stuff that I want you to study on your own. I want you to go home and read through it, look at it, look at it from the, your point, from your Bible, um, dig into it. I can, there is no way I can cover all of this in the next uh, thirty twenty five minutes. So, um, chapter four we have a shift, okay? That happens. Chapter four we have a shift now. You know this, but I would just bring it up for the sake of those who might be listening online. The original book of Revelation had no chapters to it, and it had no verses to it. That was all added in the 1600s. So that's all added a lot later, OK? So when this was actually written, it was just one whole long thing that was uh, the book that was written to, the church, to, to all these churches to speak to them. So it's nice to have that because it helps us to reference things. But the original text did not have these verses to it. Okay, Yeah, it was just one scroll. Thank you, Adam. So, you know, when you look at this, so we we see that verse 22, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches after these things. So after this has all happened, he says, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me saying, "Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this." Immediately, John said, "I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne." So I believe in, in my understanding, and like I said, I, it doesn't matter to, it won't hurt my feelings if you don't believe this. But I believe this is where the church is, this is where God's people are raptured out, right here in in Revelation 4. That this trumpet sound, and we'll look at a couple of other passages that go along with this, but he's gone through talking about these churches before all of this other stuff. Remember we talked in the chiastic how that it builds up on one side and it builds up on the other side, and at the top is sort of the climax, and, and that's where things are happening when we're... No, this is coming up the side still. This is all before, okay? So this is all happening before any bowls of wrath. That's why I don't believe that the church will be here at all to experience the wrath of God. The, he, he says, there's just things you have to work out. One is it says in the scripture that he reserves his wrath for his enemies. Okay? Now, he is not going to pour his wrath on us, the wrath being the bowls of wrath, the wrath being the seven trumpets that sound, the wrath being the seven seals that are open. He's not going to dump that on the church because we're his follow. We, are his followers. Okay, so he's his, his those who are against him and against his word. That's where his wrath will pour out. But I love this. You know, the, we have a great example of this. God's giving everybody time to be able to repent, to to be able to change their way. You know, and I love I, I personally. I, you know, you're watching this thing on the news. I love that Israel said, "Get out of, get out of Gaza. We're giving you time to get out of Gaza. Um, we want everybody to get out. You want out? Get out. It's unfortunate Hamas blocked the Egyptian border, but uh, get out of the, get out of the area. How generous in warfare!" That you would actually do that. Well, how generous of Jesus to say, look, I'm warning you, this is what's coming. And then when this trumpet sounds, this is it. So you're out, okay? The church is pulled out. He says, John said, I saw this, the sound of a trumpet. I heard the voice and said, come up here, come up hither in the King James. And I'm going to show you what's going to happen after this. So none of this other stuff happened. So until after... John is pulled out. I believe this is symbolic to us. And so, if you want to make a reference to a couple of things here 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 17. Like I said, I want you to study this on your own. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 17. Um, and then also 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 52. 51 through 52. And then what Jesus said in Luke 21, 36. Okay. I'll go through them again. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16-17. 1 Corinthians 15, 51-52. And Luke 21, 36. Alright? So he's dealt with the churches. Then he says, Come up here. A trumpet sound. Thessalonians says, And then shall the trump sound. Right? The trump will sound. And those who you know, are dead in Christ will go for... And those who are alive in God will go up and will be with Him in the air. Now contrast these two things in your, in your thinking. There is a period of time where the Lord is back on the earth, okay? He does come back to the, to the earth, but this is not it. This is in the clouds. You don't want him either when he comes back. Yeah, you don't want to be here, right? You, you want to be in His army if you're going to be here. Yeah, so you don't want to be... He is coming back on a white horse, that all, so that is all biblical. But... There is obviously something that happens where they're caught the church is caught up in the clouds with the Lord. And remember the Lord said to his disciples when he left, as you've seen me go, so shall I come again, which they saw him go in a cloud, right? On the top of he was on the Mount of Olives, right? And uh, so the Mount of Olives, if you picture it, if that's Jerusalem there on a mountain, the Mount of Olives is right there, okay? The Mount of Olives is right there. So he's on this mountain with his disciples, goes up in the cloud. They see him go up, and then what does he tell them to do? Go to Jerusalem, right? And wait for the promise of the Father that's going to come upon you. Wait for the Holy Spirit. So they come down from the Mount of Olives. They would have gone through. At the valley here would be the Garden of Gethsemane. Okay, would be right down here at the bottom. would be all these olive groves that would be down here. So they come down from off the mountain, and then they go up back into Jerusalem, and they're waiting in the upper room there until you know, till 10 days later, actually, because uh, Jesus was with them for 40 days. Everybody okay? So there's a catching away. Something happens. John, I think this is, a, this is an example of that. And he begins to talk about heaven. And um, I think it's really cool the way that he lays all this out. And so we'll just kind of highlight through this if you you don't mind. So um, it says in verse 3, And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardis stone in appearance. There was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Uh, Around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, um, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. Now. Uh, people ask, well, who are the 24? Well, immediately we're going to say, well, it's the 12 tribes, and it's the 12 disciples, okay? Uh, so I don't know that that's the truth. I don't know who they, we, I mean, we don't have like a lot of stuff that says, well, this is exactly who it is. Um, you know, if you do the 12 tribes, you, you realize that Joseph had Ephraim and Manasseh, right? So now we have 13 tribes. No, right, yeah, so you have stuff, and then you have Paul. Where does Paul fit into all of that, and uh, how does he... So we don't know, and and does it really matter? I mean, it doesn't really matter, does it? I mean, to me, there, obviously, it's 4 and 20 elders that are around the throne. They're worshiping. They cast their golden crowns before the Lord. Um, they were, you know, they, they had received multiple crowns. He says, in verse 5, And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, voices, seven lamps of fire... Uh, were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Uh, Before the throne there was a great sea of glass like crystal, and in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in the front and in the back. And we'll talk for a minute about that. But just just kind of in the image, if you look at the Old Testament, when people said they saw God, what he looked like, uh, Ezekiel talks about it and says he was a fire from the loins up and he was a fire from the loins down. You know they had nothing to really be able to describe what they were seeing, and John here he's describing all of this and he's comparing it to like it was like a sardis stone and you know and all of these because that's what they they know. I mean those are the things that they know, but it's obviously brighter than than anything we can imagine around that throne, the presence that's there. Um, you know uh, the 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 the. I think if we saw it, if we actually saw it, like right now, like if you and I could just, like God opened our vision up, we would be like Isaiah. We would be just going, oh my goodness. Lord, I'm not worthy to be. I mean, I know I'm worthy because I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, but Lord, my flesh is going, whoa. Yeah, I'm undone. And, uh, you know, and so, I mean, it was just such a powerful I've only had one angel, angelic visitation uh, in my life. Uh, I was at an Episcopal church late at night. Um, uh, an angel walked out of a back room that I knew was locked um, because I knew the rector of the church there. And I was there praying that night. and I was really struggling uh, in my spiritual walk with the Lord. And uh, this angel, this individual came out and uh, didn't come out with big wings and the whole deal. I mean, it was. It looked just like a man to me, and he had a beard and long hair, and was kind of scraggly looking, and And uh, he started asking me questions, and I was like, this is weird. What? And I didn't know how much, you know, you didn't, somebody you don't know that actually showed up out of a room that you knew was locked, and it's dark in the building, and you're the only one there. You're thinking, I don't know if I want to tell too much here, but uh, I told him who I was, and I told him my name, and... And anyways, and then he shared, said some things back to me that helped, that really helped me spiritually. And then he was gone. And then he was gone. And uh, can I just tell you that I about wet my pants? I mean, so, you know, we think, oh, I want to see the Lord. Well, you better have some depends on then because I mean, because it's probably going to be a little more than what's your body. Because our flesh, do you understand what I'm saying? Our flesh just doesn't know how to comprehend that great spiritual nature of God, and that's what John's dealing with here, man. He's just like, and so, it's, so it looked like this sort of, and it was like this, and he goes on and he describes in verse. Um, uh, he describes in verse seven. He says there were four living creatures. One was like a lion. The second living creature like a calf. The third living creature had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. And they all uh, had six wings and were full of eyes around within. And they do not rest day or night saying, Holy, Holy Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And I I believe that these are the four, uh, the four faced creature. And it's talked about in the Old Testament as well, is a representation of the four gospels, the gospel message. Matthew is the lion of the tribe of Judah um, John, uh, Mark would be about Jesus, the, the, the never-tiring ox, calf, um, that uh, Luke was always the son of man was the big thing that he talked about. Jesus is the son of man um, and uh, the humanity of God. And then uh, the last would be the eagle, the flying eagle, which would be a representation of John. John is uh, by far the much more sp- higher understanding of divinity and spiritual things than even Matthew, Mark, Luke. You know, John doesn't have a birth story in it, doesn't talk a lot about the humanity of Christ, really talks more about the divinity of Christ. So I think this is a great example of that. They're testifying. They're making declaration. The Gospels declare to us that God is holy, that from all different, you know, it's like when it's talked about, this is all you see from all different different angles you see these four living creatures and their eyes are everywhere and their wings are everywhere and they're looking at you know so no matter where you go they're directed right at you and that's like the gospels to you and i the four gospels that it speaks right to us it speaks to us in our humanity it speaks to us in understanding the spirit of god in the book of john and the work of the holy spirit it talks to us about the 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 never tiring christ who stayed up all night praying but then the next morning all those who were sick he healed Um, peter's mother-in-law that was down he he prayed for her to be raised up and how that matthew declared to us how the beauty of how that jesus is the fulfillment of everything we've looked for as a messiah he's the lion of the tribe of judah and whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne who lives forever and ever uh, the four and twenty elders fall down before him who was on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for You have created all things and by Your will they exist and were created. And I saw the right hand of Him who sat on the throne, a scroll written inside and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth, was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much, because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain. So notice all of this. The, all these metaphoric images that are happening here he 's the lion of the tribe of Judah, but now he 's the lamb of God, and all of these different things that are being conveyed and he says he's a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth and he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat uh, on the throne and when he 'd taken the scroll, the four living creatures, they bowed down. Uh, and having a harp and golden bowls full of incense which are the prayers of the saints they sang a new song saying you're worthy to take the scroll to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth and I could preach on this tonight but I won't but um, this this is uh, repeated in John chapter 1 or or Revelation 1 that we're kings we are kingdom and priests to our God and uh, that it says you have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth this is a declaration that's spoken by the four and twenty and I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne the living creatures and the elders And the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousands and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing and every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the earth and all that are in them i heard saying blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever and the four living creatures said amen and the twenty-four elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever and then he's going to start opening this he's going to start talking about the seals Okay, so when we look at this, 4 and 5 are really just depicting this whole image of heaven, what John sees when he goes. And I, I was trying to like find a really cool picture of what this looks like, and it seems like everybody that made a picture of this made it weird looking. So it just all looked strange to me. Like, and, I, and I think that anything that we try to create... You know, like I've seen people do the throne with the rainbow above it and the can't, the lamps in front. I think anything that we try to create is going to diminish what really is there because it is so powerful what is actually what that will look like. And you're going to see that. You're going to stand there before that, the thousands upon thousands that will stand there. Because what's happened already is is that this is this is John saying, when Jesus said, come up hither, right? There are thousands upon thousands, I mean, near it, that's a lot of, that means just the. it's beyond the ability to count, okay? That are there, and we're there. We're with the Lord at this moment in heaven. We're seeing all of this transpire. Someday you will see this all face to face. And I don't think there's anything that we could even create that would come close to being able to explain yeah, it would just fall short from it. And it would be it would it would look weird. It would look grotesque because it's all over the place with the lion and, you know. And I don't think we'll be standing in heaven going, "Wow, did you see that?" I think we're just going to be standing there with our mouths open going, "Right?" I mean, it's just going to be absolutely so amazing. And so my point tonight what I wanted to walk away with this tonight was is that look as all of this plays out the seven churches and then now we're here too where there is a catching away that takes place the wrath of God is not poured out till after all of that is taken place the seals are not the seals are obviously the scrolls will be open but he doesn't start making the declaration over the seals until after the church is pulled out of the earth okay and I think that part of that, which I was in a really great conversation the other day with someone about this, is, is that I don't think that evil can do what it wants to do as long as the church is in the earth. I just don't think it can. And, uh, you know, I think, I think Hitler was the epitome of evil, but there was a praying church. I mean, there were miraculous things that were taking place. And, um, you, you know, if you go back and you read like about, any of you read Reese Howell's book? Yeah. So, you know, Reese Howe was an intercessor uh, and they were praying. I mean, they were, he was from England, I believe it was. And so, but I mean, they were in intercession when we were getting ready to go on the shores, when the, when the troops were getting ready to go on the shores. And actually, as they were praying, a fog set in that they could not see our men coming up on the shore to be able to take the Nazi, the Nazi uh, rule out in that area, which was the beginning of us winning that battle, the huge battle that day. See, that's a praying church. So evil, I don't, can evil try to prevail? Well, definitely it's trying to prevail. But we have to remember that while we are here, we're kings and priests to our God. That's what he's trying to tell us in this book, these first four, cha- five chapters. We're kings and priests to our God. We are God's mediators in the earth. We're making declarations over Israel. We're making declarations over the United States of America. We're making declarations throughout, uh, over our families. Amen. I want all my kids to be there with me. Amen. And my grandkids. Hallelujah. Amen. I probably won't be looking for them, but I mean, I want them to be there anyways, right? I mean, I don't think we're just like going to be, I don't think we're going to be focused on the natural stuff as much when we're there. So I wanted to, I wanted to lay this out tonight for you just in a real simple fashion that by this chapter four, things have shifted now and the church is now in heaven. And this is what Jesus talked about was, if you see me go, I'll come again. And uh, before everything else that happens, okay. Now, let's just talk for a minute about this chiastic structure. So if you turn to this page, actually, let's just turn to the back-back one, okay? You can look at the other one. It's a little more detail. Uh, I like simple things. I'm a simple dude. So remember we talked about in chiastic structure how that it starts up one way and how that we tend to read things like the climax of the stories at the end of the book, right? Right? But the the Middle Easterners, that's not the way that they tell stories. The climax is in the middle of the book. And so what's going to happen? So what we're looking at here is everything building up. So you see the seven churches. Now we're at this point right here where there's a break, and now we're heading to the seven seals, immediately to the seven trumpets. Then you'll be into this final crisis, which is the climax of the book. We'll get to that eventually. But... Uh, that's going to be really the center of what's happening. Okay, this is where evil is defeated. Everything is—I mean, it, the, the devil's cast into the lake of, you know, fire. All that's happening in that period of time. The fi- then you go to the seven bowls. Then we move into the millennium. Okay, I want you to watch here because see, this is this is this will help you a little bit. Look at across the lines the comparisons of what's happening here, okay? If you read that, the climax of the story is at the top, you have things that are happening along the sides that are comparative. Alright? So you have the seven churches, what do you have comparative on the other side? The New Jerusalem, okay? Does that make sense? So when we look at this, now it helps us a little bit to understand um, how how this all plays out, and we'll get into this more as we go further ahead, but But, uh, you know, the millennium is happening right in that period of time. And then you've got the seals and then the trumpets and the bowls. And then, obviously, it's all building towards that final crisis. If you don't read Revelation this way, it becomes major confusing to our our, our Western mindset. Because we're like, okay, so it's the beginning and then here's the end of it. But really, that's not the way they read. That's not the way that John would have conveyed this story to the people. The beginning and the end are obviously important in what's happening, but really where the action is is in the middle of the story, and that's where we see that this is what, the, this is what Jesus is, is accomplishing. This is the judgment of everything that is evil is in that, is in that middle section there. Okay? Is in that middle section. All things are put into place in that middle section. As we're reading, so you're more than welcome to read that. Uh, Out of you know, read those chapters. I wanted to make sure you had this paper. Also, if you look at through the chiastic structure of Revelation, it's basically a repeat of that, just broken down uh, in a little more detail. And I think it'll help you just to be able to understand um, you know what's happening. Okay. All right. I'll take one question. Is this the end? Yes. Is uh, it It is. It's the end. It's your end. You're heading towards your end, no matter where you're at in your life right now. Every day that's ticking away is another day closer to your end. So, don't worry about it. Huh? <laughs> now, next Tuesday, my pastor's doing a thing at uh, Living Word. Um, it's a very casual thing. There's no offering, no worship, uh, where he's going to talk about end times. Um, and uh, so if you're interested in that, it's at 7 o'clock next Tuesday. And uh, Sharon and I are going to go to that. And uh, so that will be happening at Living Word Church over in Midland. And uh, like I said, he has a lot of intel. I do not think it will be online um, because of the nature of what he's going to be dealing with. So, um, you know, I think it's something. And, and you know what? Look, so just so I make my my disclaimer with this, he's my pastor, but he and I do not agree on everything the same way, okay? So... Yeah, yeah. And so when he and I talk, you know. But see, that's the, that's the cool thing about it. I can be respectful and still disagree or have a different view, okay? So, I mean, he's definitely a premillennialist, I, I will tell you that. But, but there are just different things in the timeline of the way that things will play out or what we should be doing um, as God's people. There are a lot of, let me say it like this, we agree on a lot more than we disagree on. But I would say that's true of Sharon and I, too. So (laughs) it's just sometimes the disagreements stand out more, don't they? Any questions? Yes, ma'am. One question. Yeah. Yeah. I don't yeah. need to hear I couldn't provide Yeah. us. So why would I do that? Yeah. And so I, and I hope I kind of put a little tickle in that ear because it's just like, wow. Well, I mean, it kind of caught me off guard with it. I'm not oh, sure yeah. what the person was, but it kind of caught me off guard because it was just like, really? Yeah. Are you going to need that, folks? Yeah, you know. Well, and, I, and, and look, you know, and, uh, so yeah, and I, I agree. And I, there are a lot of... There are a lot of charlatans out there that are using this as an opportunity to sell stuff to Christians. And uh, so just be care I tell people be careful, you know. I mean, you know, if you want ramen noodles to last you a year, go to the just go to Sam's Club and buy a huge giant five big box of ramen noodles. Um I if that's all you live on, you will die anyway, so <laughs> Your sodium levels will be so high that uh yeah. Yeah, get some Twinkies, you might as well live it up, right? I mean, if that's what you're going to do. But I I do think that there is, you know, it's like we talk about during COVID. We are cautiously confident. We live cautiously. And I believe that's an end time phrase for us to live by. You know, I have weapons in my I protect myself. I believe in that. Um, you know, do I have canned goods and enough sure i we all do you all do too and you know i have more than enough that i would be able to help people if they were in need but i don't live in fear that i got to stock up for that and uh you know fear is a is an incredible motivator and like i said there are lots of charlatans out there that will just use this as an opportunity to sell their wares and just be careful um and uh You know, if it doesn't, let me just say it like this. If it doesn't feel right, turn it off and uh, get away from it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. No, they're telling you. you Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's just like we talk about with gold, you know, like I talked about Sunday. You know, you can go buy gold.